turn this morning to Zechariah chapter 2. The book of Zechariah involves seven visions that Zechariah received regarding Jesus Christ. Visions that pointed to the wonder of Christ as the king priest and the manner in which he would preserve and protect his church. Here in chapter 2 we have the third of the night visions, so-called. A vision in which God promises to build up his Zion, his church, to protect her and to make her the place of his covenant. And we look at that this morning. We take then the entire chapter for our text and we read the entire chapter. We hear God's inspired word. I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him, and said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwelleth with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants. And ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion, in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. We read that far. May God bless the reading of his word. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as I stated, we look at here the third of the seven night visions in which God promises to build up his Zion to protect her and to establish her as the place of his covenant. As we begin a new year, We look to God, and we confess our strength and our comfort to be found in Him. There's concern for the church and for her well-being. There's concern for our own personal struggles and our own trials in life. There are difficulties that we experience in so many different ways. We would be inclined to falter, and we would be inclined to begin to question the well-being of the church and her provision. As office bearers, we are weak. We are sinful. And now we're appointed to be the ones who are keeping this precious church for which Jesus Christ gave His blood. We feel unworthy. 
We don't feel up to the task. But God will dwell with His people as their God. And we can, this prophecy testifies to God's faithfulness and God's preservation of His church. Now, the prophecy here is very similar to a number of different passages in the Bible. Revelation 11, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 21, verses 9 through 27. And Ezekiel 40 and 42 all mention the same idea of a measuring line. And the message of the vision is also the same as we have in those places. Ezekiel, Zechariah, Revelation, all talk about the church where God keeps covenant with His people. And God's plan is to build her, to make her beautiful, to protect her, and to keep her over against all the opposition that takes place around her. Now, in the first of the visions here in Zechariah, God spoke of stretching out a line upon Jerusalem. Now that actually takes place here in this third vision. Again, as we begin a new year, as we install office bearers, it's good for us to understand the place that God has given to his church. As an earthly institution, the church is vulnerable. She's vulnerable to schism, to false teaching, to departure from the faith. The membership of the church is sinful, characterized by sinners. Office bearers are weak and sinful men. How will we stand? How will the church be preserved? Jehovah preserves to himself a church faithful to his word. There's no institution on earth more safe or better protected. We look at long-standing businesses sometime and we think, wow, that bank made it for 150 years, or that business is still around after how many years? God says, look at my church. Behold my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. Nations and peoples may oppose her, but I'm going to preserve her, and I'm going to keep her until Jesus comes back again. Banks in the meantime fail. Kingdoms perish. Companies go bankrupt. But Christ's church is secure. And this vision sets forth the glorious truth that the church of Jesus Christ is indestructible. We lay hold on that truth as members of Christ's church. And we lay hold of that truth as a local manifestation of this glorious church. Praying for grace and strength to extol God and to glorify Him in all we do. We take this morning our theme from verse 8. The apple of God's eye. Noting the assurance, the appearance, and the assignment. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. We read in verse 4. A man is sent to measure Jerusalem, and he goes with a measuring stick in his hand. And he goes out to measure with this measuring line. Now, there are, again, multiple references in the Bible to such a measuring taking place. And whenever we find that reference, the idea is to demonstrate the glorious extent and the prosperity of what's being measured. In other words, this thing is so precious, it's so large, that here are the measurements of it. 
At least three things we can note here in this specific instance. First of all, the purpose is to show God is the one who's building for himself and for his people a place. God will be the God of his people. He will dwell with them and among them. In Ezekiel 43, verses 1 through 6, Zechariah 2, verse 5 here, and Revelation 21, verse 3, speaking of that idea of measuring, brings up this point. God is the one who is measuring because he's the one who's establishing his church. The visions of Ezekiel reveal the glory of God coming into his house. And the glory of God come into the house of God by way of the rising of the sun. And the reference in Ezekiel is the son of righteousness. Jesus Christ is the one who brings that glory and that wonder into his house because he's the one living and dwelling with his people. Here, that is on the foreground. God is the one building. But secondly, it also shows that God is the one measuring. And he's the one preserving his people. Verse 5 demonstrates here this, when God promises that he will be a wall of fire round about Jerusalem. For I, saith the Lord, verse 5, shall be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. That's striking. And the point is this, her protection is God because God is standing as a wall of fire around her. Ezekiel 44, verse 9, expresses something similar, that promise of God protecting as he's busy in measuring. Similarly, Revelation 21, verse 27. We read there, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The measuring, then, is for the safety, it's for the security of God's people and God's church. And that which is measured then comes under his protection. It's under his care. And he's the one that's guarding it. Anything outside of that which he measured is destined to ruin. And we read of that in Revelation 11, verses 1 and 2, where he states that that which is not measured is going to be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. That is not preserved. It's not kept. But the measuring of the body of Christ, the elect gathered out of all of the various tribes, is that which is preserved and kept by God. But finally, this measuring also has to do with a a marvelous truth, and that is, according to verses 4 here, verse 6, verse 11, the fact that God is setting forth the glory of his covenant in gathering his church out of the whole world, so that as God measures, and as he describes this measuring, he speaks of the fact that This is a wonder by which he's going to draw to himself people from all over the world. It's not limited merely to one physical, earthly location. This is a temple that's going to be built far more glorious than that of Solomon, Zerubbabel, or even Herod. This is a temple whose fulfillment and whose beauty lie beyond any building in this world. It's ultimately a temple that can't be measured. And that's the irony here that's being set forth as he busies himself with this measuring. It's the body of Christ called out of every nation, tribe, and tongue throughout the whole world, gathered in her 
full glory in the new creation where she no longer needs to be measured. There is no more protection required. She now dwells in the fullness of the glory of the new heaven and the new earth. God sends then this man to measure when Jerusalem had not yet been rebuilt. The walls are still in ruin. The temple has not been rebuilt. And this shows the purpose and the plan of God. This is all going to take place. It's all going to come to pass. God's protection, his care for his church, and his gathering of his church. And God will establish his covenant, not just with the Jews, but with the Gentiles. He will build his church to the point that it expands and extends beyond any walls. That's the significance here of these references. Now in that connection, he identifies his church in verse 8 as the apple of his eye. What a beautiful designation. When we think of our eyes, we think of that which is sensitive. And we guard our eyes and we protect our eyes. If something is going to come flying at us, we immediately put our hands up and put our head down and we try to protect our eyes lest something would strike our eyes and take away our precious sight. God uses the reference to the eye to describe something that is precious, something that's valuable to him. He will build his church and he will establish her. A speck of dust in the eye causes tremendous pain. And what was happening here is the wicked nations around were kicking dirt at the Jews, at God's people. And God says, you're kicking dirt into my eyes. These are my people. They are precious in my sight. And by you now opposing them, you're opposing me. Now, no wonder God is moved then with anger against the enemies. God, with a wave of his hand, is going to send them away, according to verse 9. For behold, I will shake my hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants. And ye shall know the Lord of hosts has sent me. God's point is this. You touch my church, you touch me. You touch that which is most precious to me, that which is most valuable to me. You touch that which is the apple of my eye. Now what a beautiful designation. Now what about the nations that are trying to destroy the church? What about the wicked nations that stand opposed to Christ? Christ says, not only am I going to build my church, but Christ says, the gates of hell will prevail against her. That's out of Matthew 16, verse 18. The church is going to be attacked. The church is attacked on every front. The church is attacked from within. But what is the effect? The wicked are kicking dirt into the eye of God. And God says, I will preserve my church. I will protect her. The church is going to be attacked. The mighty power of the devil himself will seek to overthrow her. The devil storms out of hell. And he does so in order to try to bring about the destruction of the church of Jesus Christ. He stood ready to destroy the Christ child on every occasion, prior to his coming and then after he was born. But God would not allow that. God preserved Christ. God preserved him unto the sacrifice of perfect obedience that he might secure his church and preserve her. There's been a perpetual battle throughout all ages between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. 
between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And as that battle has progressed, never has the outcome been uncertain. God pledged from the very beginning that His Son would crush the head of the seed of the serpent, whereas the seed of the woman would prevail. The devil cannot overthrow the work of God. God preserved His Son. The dragon could not defeat the Messiah. And now the devil comes with great wrath upon earth, knowing his days are numbered, and directing that wrath to the church. Sowing seeds of sin and unrest and doing everything in his power to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. He brings persecution, he seduces the church and the members of the church into the ways of sin. He works through false teachings, through pride, through suspicion, one another. He seeks to stir as much unrest as he can within the church of Jesus Christ through covetousness, through materialism. And the church is weak. The church has no natural defense. How will the church be able to stand? The sheep are weak. The sheep are foolish. We're inclined to walk in the ways of temptation and the ways of the flesh. The church looks to her God and clings to the wonder of the promises that God gives regarding His preservation and protection of His church. As we gather this morning on the threshold of a new year, we do so not in despair. We gather with the blessed assurance that God gives us here in His Word. Jesus Christ is guarding. He is keeping her. And He is protecting you and me. And God raises up office bearers, strengthens them with His grace and with His Holy Spirit for the work to which He calls them. Through the preaching of the Word, He strengthens His people, exposing the powers of, the dar- of darkness, empowering them by the work of His Spirit. And He works in them the sensitivity to sin and the desire to live unto Him. Jehovah God, by His Word and Spirit, works repentance. He works sorrow. He's at work in the hearts and lives of His church. He's defending and preserving them against the devil and against all the forces of darkness. And the elders are called jealously to guard the spiritual well-being of the church, admonishing sinners, receiving those who are repentant, exercising faithfully the keys of the kingdom, keeping out those putting out those that are walking unrepentantly in sin, embracing, drawing those who know their need for Christ and their love for Christ. God's commitment to His church is firm and everlasting. And He raises up men whom He equips and calls for the purpose of that preservation. But ultimately, they look to Him. He alone is the one who will preserve His church. And through death, will destroy the power of death, the devil. God's commitment to his church is firm. It is everlasting. Jehovah God is with his church. And the church will not only expand physically, but God will cause the expansion of the church spiritually beyond the walls of Jerusalem to all the ends of the world. God is a wall of fire around her. Verse 5. That's a beautiful reference. A wall of fire around her. All who are united to Christ by faith are kept 
They're preserved. They're safe. Because Jehovah God surrounds them. And their safety is in His attributes. The fact that He is eternal. He is omniscient. He is everlasting. The fact that He is a God of love. And that He will never fail His own. What is said of the body of the church applies to the individual members of God's elect. Jehovah God is a wall around you. He is preserving you. He is keeping you. We know that great persecution is going to arise. We experience temptations from within. But we are preserved by the power and the protection of Jehovah God Himself. And He gives that glorious assurance to His church and to His saints. That moves us to rejoicing and to joy, as the conclusion of the chapter expresses. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. God fulfilling that wonder at the time of Pentecost, when He poured out His Spirit and lives and dwells now within His church. Now what is the appearance of the church? What does she look like? At the time of this message, Jerusalem was in ruins. Jerusalem would not be rebuilt for many, many years. The temple had to be rebuilt first. That wasn't even yet finished. And the walls weren't even begun to be worked on. For the people of God, this earthly city was at the center of their hope. It was the center of their earthly life. It was the focus of their nation. This was where God dwelt. This was the city that God had chosen, the city of His covenant. But there was very little tangible external evidence of that. It was a city in ruins. God promises that He will rebuild a city without walls. Now that means she doesn't have to be worried about enemies. If the city doesn't need walls, that means the city is safe. What are the purpose of walls? Walls are to keep the enemy out. It's to protect the city from those who would seek to destroy her. God promises that He will build the city without walls. And what that means is this. God will protect her. God will preserve her so that there will be no need for walls. Now, appearances can be deceiving. It appeared that Jerusalem was very vulnerable. Her walls were all broken down. Easily, enemies could just go right into the city and could seemingly destroy her. But God says, no, you're not vulnerable because I'm establishing a wall. And that's a wall of fire. We can't always see the wall of fire. Here in the time of Zechariah, again, the walls weren't even built. They could not see any evidence of protection. Around them, it seemed as though they were vulnerable. There was no protection. The day when they would not need walls would not occur in the Old Testament. Remember Nehemiah's sorrow when he comes and visits and he sees they haven't been working on the walls. And he knows the urgency. They have to rebuild these walls. But this prophecy's final fulfillment is not in this world. It doesn't occur in Jerusalem. It's in a world to come. Revelation 21 speaks of a city with walls but its gates are not shut at all by day. Revelation 21, verse 25. 
And the picture there is God's protection. God is protecting her. He's watching her. Remember the experience of Elisha and his servant. They were surrounded by wicked armies. And they were inclined to despair. They thought for sure they were doomed because the army had marched out and had surrounded their city with tremendous numbers. But then Elijah prays for the open, Elisha prays for the opening of the eyes of his servant. And God gives his eyes to be opened. And what does he see? He sees the spiritual reality. God's angels are surrounding the city. And they're far greater in number than any of the physical enemies. So that God is the one who has his church under his care. We look around us and we don't see the church as very strong. We see the church as very vulnerable. The church is weak. She doesn't seem very secure. She's visible in the world. She doesn't look very safe. And the appearance of the church through the ages has changed somewhat. There were times when it seemed as though the church was non-existent. One could hardly find evidence of the church in the midst of the world. During the time of Ahab, those perilous days with the persecution of Jezebel and the Baal prophets. It seemed as though the church was completely destroyed and Ahab and Jezebel were killing all the prophets of God and that evil had overcome the church. Remember Elijah is given the great victory at Mount Carmel. He kills all the prophets of Baal. But then Jezebel comes after him and seeks to destroy him. And remember his concern? He becomes afraid. He despairs. He thinks he's the only one left who's faithful to God. And then God has to come to him and say, No, Elijah, I have yet 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, you don't see what I see, says God. And that's what we need to hear. You don't see what I see, says God. We must listen to the word of God. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. What we see seems weak, seems in danger. Seems as though the wicked world is prevailing. But we're arrogant fools if we depend on our own sight and what we can see. Throughout history, God's purpose and God's plan has always been realized. And through history, there are times when the church seems stronger, seems vibrant. Other times, seems small, seems weaker. But God is at work. And God's work is always present in the midst of his church. At times it seems as though Satan is wiping out the church. It seems as though Satan's influence is far greater than that of God. But no, God's plan is always prevailing. I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. Verse 5. Now two things are striking here about the lack of walls. First of all, the growth and the spread of the church throughout all of the world. The church cannot be contained. That's the beautiful truth that's set forth. Secondly, the protection of that church by Jehovah God, who is keeping her spiritually. We're reminded by the wall of fire, of the pillar by which God preserved his church in the wilderness. A pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day. And God used that pillar of fire to protect his church, as well as to destroy her enemies. Fire depicts purification. It also depicts destruction. 
And God purged his church, and God purged his people, but he was also busy destroying the wicked and cutting them off who were oppressing his church. Not only is the church surrounded by the fire of God's glory, but also God dwells in her. She burns with the glory of God, and yet she's not consumed. Think there of the burning bush that Moses experienced in the wilderness. He comes upon this bush that's on fire, and yet it's not being consumed. God is in the midst of his church as a consuming fire, yet she is not destroyed. The glory and the strength of the church are in the presence of Jehovah God. Now, the previous vision in chapter 1, verse 18, made reference to the enemies of God's church as horns. It talks about those horns, and those horns were creating trouble for the church of Jesus Christ. It's striking. Verse 18 of chapter 1, Then lifted I up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, four horns. And I asked, I said to the angel that talked to me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And then what is God's response? Verse 20, And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Now you think, what are carpenters going to do in order to help defend Jerusalem against these horns that are scattering and destroying the church? And the point, beloved, is, is beautiful. It's this. God is the one who raises up carpenters to fray and to cast them out. How and why? Why carpenters? Because the carpenters will build the house of God. Why build his house? So that his word and spirit go forth in all of their power unto the destruction of the wicked and the building up of his church. In other words, the destruction of the horns, the destruction of the enemies, is through the building up of the house where the Word and the Spirit are present. Because it's the Word and the Spirit that are necessary to do battle against the enemy. There's no need for walls. We have the Word. We have the Spirit as our protection and as the power unto salvation. The power of that Word and the power of that Spirit are such that they're dwelling within us. They're keeping us, and they're preserving us personally. So if the devil brings attacks, he brings persecution, he brings opposition, but God's children are safe, kept by the power of Jehovah God. Beloved, regardless of what we see, regardless of what we may think, God is building his church. Now we know that this passage can't be taken to a refer to a specific church or a specific denomination without qualification. We may not insert here a qualification that, or a reference that would say that this is the application then, that God will preserve the Protestant Reformed churches as though God's promise is that he'll put a wall of fire around Calvary and around the PRC so that they'll never fall. That would be a wrong interpretation of this passage. God's promise is not a promise to a specific congregation or a specific denomination. His promise is with regard to his people and to his church. All of God's promises are always spiritual and apply not in general earthly terms, but rather to the well-being of his church and his saints. His saints will not fail. Congregations, denominations, 
will come and go. They will fail. Individuals will leave their first love. Many churches take the name Reformed or Presbyterian, but their buildings are shut. Hardly anybody attends any longer. God's promise, He will preserve on earth His church. And by His Spirit, He works faith in the hearts of His children so that His children press forward in faithfulness to God, upholding His Word and His truth. And we desire to give Him all glory. We desire to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we join ourselves then to churches on earth that hold fast the word of truth, that promote godly living, that look to God for their strength, where Christ is present by His Word, as it's faithfully proclaimed, and by His Spirit. And we have a calling then to live faithfully before Him. He will preserve and He will keep us in humility. He will keep us in faithfulness. We may not see the numbers, we may not see the prominence that we would desire. We may wish to have more influential people, especially maybe in positions of politics that would be able to preserve and would protect us from the opposition and perhaps the persecution that may come from the authorities that be. We may desire individuals with more money so that we can have more finances with which to further the cause of Christ to a greater measure. We may individually wish that we had more gifts for office so that as office bearers we would be able to accomplish greater things. No. Your strength and my strength is in Jehovah, our God. His wall of fire is our strength. He will destroy all of His enemies and He will grow His church in the midst of the world. And so we're not fooled by appearance. We lay hold on the promise and we lay hold upon God's Word that Jehovah God is the one who has that wall of fire round about His saints, and who will preserve unto Himself a faithful church on earth until our Lord returns. What is the assignment that's given here? Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. The church presses on with joy and with song. Why? God is present in our midst. And again, that's the fruit of Pentecost, the wonder of the Holy Spirit's indwelling in the hearts of His children. This is the wonder that encourages us and gives us the strength to press on. God's people are called the daughter of Zion, the bride of Jesus Christ. And as the bride of Jesus Christ, she lives in the unspeakably blessed fellowship with the living God. She knows God. And she enjoys the presence of God. And so the church goes forward on the basis of this promise as a church that's militant. A church that takes up the word and presses on with that word, believing that God will work His perfect work. The pastor takes up the word, faithfully preaches that word. The elders take up the word and make application of it in their visits. The deacons take that word and bring the comfort of it from house to house. The power of the office in the word and trusting God by His Spirit to apply that word and to accomplish His good pleasure. God blasts His trumpet to alert us, be ready, 
wage war against the powers of sin. And the church takes up the word and presses on, believing that the Spirit will accomplish the purpose that God has ordained. The church triumphant are the believers that are already in heaven. But really, the church on earth already is triumphant because we have a Savior in Jesus Christ, our Lord. But as a church, we do battle and we fight in the consciousness of the protection and the victory that is ours in Christ. We go forward singing and rejoicing. Now, what a great encouragement this had to been for Zechariah and for the Israelites. Only 50,000 people had come back out of the millions that had gone into captivity. And so now Zechariah is back with just a small handful of individuals. Jerusalem is in ruins. The walls have not yet been rebuilt. The temple is destroyed. They're small. And then immediately there's unfaithfulness among the ranks of those who have come back. They're despised. And then the enemy is coming against them from without so that it seems as though The church of Jesus Christ is doomed. The devil was working hard to destroy their witness. And the devil continues to work hard to destroy our witness. But we're not discouraged. We're not to be dismayed. We don't abandon the battle. We don't forfeit the promises. We press on in the assurance of victory in the battle because God is in the midst of us. And we shall not be moved. God's presence is our strength. It's in that context that we read, Be silent, O flesh, before the Lord. Be silent. What does one think about? Pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray. As God reveals Himself in all of His glory, He moves us to prayer. And we fall before Him in silence and in prayer. God is not sitting idly by as His saints are afflicted. God is present in our midst. And He will preserve and He will keep us. We watch for the influence. We watch for the power of the devil in our lives, in the life of the congregation. We keep an eye open for doctrinal error. We watch for those who are walking openly and blatantly in the ways of sin. And we sharpen the Word of God. We know that truth. We faithfully seek to live out of it. We prepare ourselves and our children for suffering. But our confidence is in Jehovah, our God, who has preserved His church, who gave His own Son, who laid His life down, was raised again on the third day, ascended into heaven and pours out His Spirit in order to preserve and to keep her. She is small. She is despised. But we must not look at what we see. We go forward by faith. How small can be sometimes the attendance at Bible study compared to the membership of the congregation? It can become discouraging. How few of us, it seems, read anymore and diligently take up books in order to educate our minds and to be diligent with regard to being faithful soldiers in the battle. The devil lures us with materialism, with entertainment, And so easily, so quickly, we get swept up in it. How little our devotions are. How little time we take with our families in order to sit down around the Word of God. How often we don't make it the priority that we ought. 
Are we diligent warriors for the truth in our homes and in the congregation? Are we walking prayerfully before the face of our God? And beloved, as we do so, are we concerned about the future of the church? Working hard to make sure that the next generation remains faithful to the truth. What will be left for the next generation? If we're not leading by example in our study of Scripture, how will they see that the Bible is important? How will they keep the Lord's day? If we're not reading, we're not studying, what will they be doing and how are they going to grow? How are they going to learn? If we're living selfishly, pursuing our own way, our own will, what's going to encourage them to seek God and to seek God's will and God's ways? Beloved, we cry out for mercy and we acknowledge our sinfulness and we lay hold on the promise of Jehovah God. And with renewed zeal, out of gratitude, we press on in the glorious work that He has given. We're willing to serve in office. We're willing to be watchmen on the walls of Zion. We're eager to hear the Word preached so that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. And regardless of what we hear from the media, regardless of what we see with our eyes, we cling to the glorious promise. Jehovah God has built a wall of fire around His saints and around His church. And He will preserve and He will keep her as the apple of His eye. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank Thee that Thou art the one who is in the midst of us, who dwells in our hearts by Thy Spirit, whose presence is with us by Thy Word and by Thy Spirit. And we look to Thee. We pray for Thy preserving grace. Strengthen the men who occupy the position of the offices. Give unto them what they need in order to seek Christ and to glorify and honor Him in the decisions that they make. And Lord, cause that we might rejoice and that we might be thankful for Thy care for and Thy preservation of us. Amen.